0: placement of trees is definitely tricky it's hard to imagine what your forest of food is going to look like when they're so small especially the trees
1: because trees take up a lot of space i'm delia cologne and this is the zest citrus seafood spanish flavor and southern charm the zest celebrates cuisine and community in the sunshine state It's never too late to go green. Today, get inspiration and practical tips for eating more sustainably, whether you're six or in your 60s. Thank you for eating up the latest episode of The Zest. WUSF Public Media also offers a delicious podcast focused on arts and culture in the Sunshine State. The Arts Access Florida podcast highlights arts and cultural organizations right here in Florida. Learn more about these unique institutions, how you can be a part of upcoming events, and so much more. For a culturally enriching experience, subscribe to the Arts Access Florida podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or visit artsaccessflorida.org. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L dot org. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Community Foundation Tampa Bay. When the zombie apocalypse happens, the best place to ride it out might just be at Albert Reisenberg's house. At his home in Gulfport, just outside of St. Petersburg, Albert is growing enough sustenance to outlast any hunker-down situation that may arise. I first met Albert through his fellow sustainability activist, Rob Greenfield, whom I interviewed about Rob's year of growing and foraging all of his own food. Yes, seriously, and you can check out that conversation— in Season 5, Episode 1, in case you missed it. Anyway, Rob had been a house guest of Albert's at the time, and I knew I had to come back to chat with Albert himself. His small front and backyards are like a modern-day Garden of Eden, lush with fruits and vegetables and beehives and an impressive composting setup, he even grows his own medicines. Albert's sustainability efforts earned him the title 2021 Golf Portion of the Year from his local newspaper, The Gabber. But Albert didn't always lead such an eco-friendly lifestyle. He was born in Argentina and moved to the U.S. with his family when he was three, and he grew up to spend three decades working as an aircraft mechanic. I met up with Albert in his backyard, as you'll hear from the bird sounds and sirens and wind and all that. It was a chilly morning back in January. Over mugs of chamomile tea, Albert shared his journey from airplane mechanic to gardener, beekeeper and yoga instructor. He also offered advice for going green later in life and tips for turning your own backyard into an edible oasis
0: you know, my parents were both physicians, so growing food just wasn't part of my raising at all. In the 60s, we tried to become Americans and back then, you know, it's about TV and all that stuff, you know about packaged food was was something that was felt was a good thing you know. I ended up realizing that the American dream was just not what it was all cut out to be. I was an aircraft mechanic for 30 years. I raised two sons with that work. I had a wife at that time as well, and she was a teacher. And we had the whole thing, the house, the picket fence. And I was miserable. I worked too much, and I really even even in my earlier time as an adult, you know, in my 30s and 40s, I always had this plan of trying to get out of the machine. That's what I call it, the machine. And it, to me, it's very consuming and it consumed a good chunk of me. My wife at the time, we were going in completely different directions. And then that didn't work out, but I finally decided to move to Florida. And the moment I crossed that Howard Franklin Bridge. I knew I was home and I'm telling you, every time I cross that bridge, I feel that same tingle. I'm feeling it now.
1: I'm feeling it too. What makes Florida and specifically Gulfport, South St. Pete neighborhood such a great place to eat sustainably? What really started
0: me in the growing here is the 15th Street Farm. At the time, um, that was called the Faith House, and I had two really significant teachers, Emmanuel Rue and Bill Billidoux, who were running it at the time. Emmanuel still runs it now. We
1: had Emmanuel on, I think, the first season of the podcast talking yeah. about a farm still in St. Pete. Was it the St. Pete farm? The Echo Village. It's
0: it's gone through a lot of transformations right now. It's called the 15th Street Farm. And that's where I really cut my teeth in uh, urban agriculture. Wow! Um, And really what I'm doing here is a snapshot of what we were doing then. It was more about Permaculture, and the 15th Street Farm has transformed more into a real farm, and that's how Emmanuel's vision has brought it. and He's wanting to do farm to table uh, meals there and other things, and you know he's trying to get through the bureaucratic stuff that cities put in front of you, as as in agriculture. Now recently what's really exciting is now it's Florida in the, on the state level has passed laws that say you can grow food even in your front yard which that was not the case a few years ago so that has shifted. So the things I learned from the 15th Street farm which was the faith house at that time I have brought to here but I am doing experiments. Interestingly enough my work in that 50 years of of working You know, in jobs that I didn't really like Or wasn't really feeding my soul Has fueled my life here My home is paid for And so even though I live a very modest life I'm able to live without having being part of the machine I can I can do these sustainable kind of jobs that really fuel me it, more than just financially, spiritually and just making me whole. I'm a beekeeper and I have right now I have I think I have ten hives in a couple of locations. I'm really focusing on doing it as clean as I can. Remember, Even if I I wasn't a beekeeper I mean there is income there um, But I don't have to have it to live So I'm holding my ground And what I'm saying by that With the beekeeping is I am treatment free That means I don't use any chemicals Whatsoever in my hives And I don't help the bees with their health. I let them do that. I supply them with the boxes so they can thrive. And then they share their honey with me and I'm sharing my help with their lives as little as possible, but enough when they need a little bit of intervention.
1: Very cool. And I just want to note there's some sirens in the background. I don't know yeah. if they're coming for me or you or, no. or well, the bees. <laughs> well, well, this is a city. I'm doing a lot
0: here on this tiny little city lot so, of course, we're going to have that. But usually it's very good kind of atmosphere. It's a quiet. I have a park in front of, you know, across the street from my house. I just really, I have to pinch myself how lucky I got in this spot. And, you know, Gulfport. So Gulfport is this tiny little city of 12,000 permanent residents that's just aside, you know, St. Pete. And we have our own thing going here, our own vibe. There's lots of musicians here and artists. You know, it has shifted a little bit because it's and kind of expensive to live here. But still, we're retaining our vibe. And of course, I'm a regular, uh, I'm, I'm regularly at the council meetings and they know who I am.
1: You mentioned that the people at the council know who you are. Well, now a lot of people know who you are because the Gabber, which is Florida's oldest independent weekly newspaper, named you, is it Golf Portion? Golf Portion of the Year. Golf Portion of the Year. You're on the cover from the December 30th, 2021 issue. That's Congratulations on that, and it's easy to see why. We talked about how we're in a city, and honestly, when I pull up to your house, you would never know this you know relatively small-sized lot is just growing so much. You talked about how you've got the bees. What else do you have going on back here food-wise and sustainability-wise?
0: Food-wise, of course, I've got lots of fruit trees. I've got mangoes, bananas, mulberry, avocado, uh, lemons, papayas, lots of papayas, moringa, which is an incredible thing. I've got tropical cherries. I've got Suriname cherry, Barbados cherry, June plum. I mean, the list goes on and on. Soursop, pineapples, you know, growing everywhere. And then I do some annuals. I'm really shifting more and more to more uh, sustainable plants that I don't have to keep planting every year, I still do some annuals, and of course, this is the best time—you know, arugula and uh, and Ethiopian kale, and you know, lettuce and uh, what else? You know, it's just so many uh, nasturtiums, um, lots of different things, tomatoes, of course, too, and I also run a small nursery um, where I'm offering the plants that I grow for myself. So most nurseries you go in, it's just this big store with a bunch of plants, right? Well, you come to this nursery and it's only by appointment that you can come here. What happens is I can show you the plants in their mature state. And so you can see what the potential is and the possibility is, and I'm in this position in my life where I don't need that much money. So I can be so much more
1: generous. I think so many people would like to be where you are. Can I ask your age?
0: I'm 61 years old. You
1: look great. And I'm only, I'm only asking because people maybe starting this journey later in life could feel overwhelmed. So what are some things that you started with? Just some easy things when you were making your transition to eating more sustainably. Can you give me like a couple of easy first steps?
0: well if you you're talking about food itself, I mean the first the first things to plant are papaya and star fruit. The papaya especially, the thing that's beautiful about the papayas, is- Oftentimes the papaya gives you the best fruit in the first year And they only fruit three to five years um, So you could plant them anywhere without the, the worry that you may have to move them Because it's, it's really a temporary thing You have to keep planting them But they grow so quickly and so easily And they love it Here They love it. Now, of course, you have to give them more soil than our our basic native sand, uh, but that's not that hard with the papaya. That would be my top choice if you want to grow food. And then it gives you a little bit of canopy. One of the things is, if you can see here, there's a lot of canopy. And what the canopy does is it keeps the the moisture in the ground, in the soil, from evaporating out. It stops at the canopy and then comes right back down. So that's important, and then papaya is a good way way to get canopy going fast in the first year. Mulberry, what a wonderful tree, puts out beautiful fruit, and it gives you enough fruit in the spring so you can actually make jam and freeze some and have it throughout the year. If you have an ever tree, which is the ones I offer, um, you can get a handful of fruit every day. Mango, the queen of fruits, they grow incredibly here. I mean, in this Tampa Bay area, it is just it's the queen.
1: And I I love mango. It's wonderful. Um, What kind of mangoes are you growing?
0: Um, You know it's funny, when I first started I wasn't doing my nursery so I don't know exactly what every variety everything is. My main mango tree which is right there fully in flower is a dwarf and it puts out the most wonderful mangoes, not sure the variety I also have a sweet tart that I planted a couple years ago that we should be getting our first uh, batch from and incidentally You know, I also have, I do a lot with the community. One of my favorite people in the world is Lev Pazikov, And he's planted a number of trees in my yard because he's family to me. He runs the Florida Fruit Collective. And he sells fruit at the Saturday market uh, in St. Pete. And he's also getting ready to start selling fruit trees. He scours the state for the best of fruit, whether it's trees or actual fruit itself. So community is a huge thing for me. And that's all part of it.
1: Fresh fruit is so good. The wind is really kicking up today. Yeah, (laughs) it is. crazy. Good day
0: for sailing, you know. It
1: is, yeah. I'll have to get right on that.
0: (laughs) And I'm a sailor as well. Oh, you are. My epic voyage was, you can see my little sailboat, which is kind of a little bit of a mess right now. Oh, yeah, in the corner of your yard. But that sailboat, I've gone about 11,000 miles in it, um, and my big trip was to Bermuda with this tiny little 22, and I actually published an article in Spin Sheet Magazine, which is a big sailing magazine, on that journey uh, in 2001, I think it was, yes.
1: Oh, wow. Were there any other plants you wanted to mention that are easy for beginners?
0: Um, You know, it really depends on the time of the year. This time of the year, the ones that I think are the really easiest to to grow are arugula, everglades, tomatoes, and uh, seminal pumpkin as far as being annuals right so it's uh,
1: january we're recording this.
0: yes and so seminal pumpkin can grow the full year it's probably the the best the most sustainable squash because it can grow it usually lasts about a year but it does quite well in the summer and winter of course if you want to make medicine growing an elderberry uh the american elderberry is the native to here what really does a great job and works well and also avocado trees um, they're Wonderful. Just make sure and get a grafted variety if it, if it's available and dwarfs. Um, having massive trees in a small city lot is not a good idea, especially because we have hurricanes here. Now, if you're just looking for shade, um, then maybe it's a possibility. But remember, when the trees get full size, you can't get to the fruit now because they're too high up unless you wanna pick her. Now, lychee is also a wonderful fruit and we're in a small window of space here in this country. Only Florida and Hawaii are growing lychee in the United States. So it's from China. And there's also a a sister of lychee called Longin. And the beauty of the longan, it's a smaller fruit, and it fruits at a different time as a lychee, but it's very similar. But the beauty of the longan is it's true to seed, so you can actually propagate these from seed. And you won't get the exact same, but if you have a really good fruit, you're most likely to get a really good fruit from that. So that's a wonderful thing as well. Now, in the summer, um, and really I specialize a lot in what greens you can grow in the summer, because guess what? The summer is really tricky. You can't grow traditional things in the summer. Egyptian spinach grows wonderfully in the summer. There's a couple of uh, hibiscuses that are edible, cranberry hibiscus and roselle. They are absolutely wonderful to eat and to make tea from. And then ginger and turmeric. I offer 10 different varieties of ginger and turmeric here at the Moon Landing uh, Garden. And it is a wonderful thing. And if you play your cards right, you can have a bed that you can tap into. To year round, even when the plant goes dormant.
1: I didn't think about that. I really didn't think you could grow anything in the summer in Florida. Oh, clearly fruit,
0: fruit trees. I mean, you know what? Really, the fruits you have in the winter are star fruit and papaya. But in the summer, grapes. I also have a beautiful variety of grapes. Grapes, mangoes, avocados, star fruit as well, mulberry, bananas. I mean, the list goes on. You know, and so summer is really about fruit, but there's a number of greens that you can grow. You just have to be, you know, a little... I, I even have stinging nettle growing here, year-round.
1: I don't even know what that is. Stinging nettle
0: is, is. I mean, it's it's really, we're pretty far south for it, but as long as you can keep it in the shade in the summer, uh, you can grow it just fine. It's a wonderful herb that you can use as a tea. Um, it also has this property where when you pick it, it stings you. you a lot of people use gloves. <laughs> why
1: do I want that? <laughs> oh, no, I'll kidding. tell you why you okay. want that.
0: It, it really promotes circulation. Um, I have a little bit bit of arthritis in my hands, and when I pick that stinging nettle, it's actually treatment. Uh, I have some issues with my lower back a little bit, and I'll treat myself with the stinging nettle, and the variety I have that's actually proven to work really well in this hot climate actually has a little bit lighter of a sting, which is actually better for treating yourself because it's not too too harsh.
1: Okay. It's like nature's acupuncture. It kind of is a little bit. That's pretty cool. Yes. You talked about how you don't want to grow massive trees in like a small urban environment. What are some don'ts or what are some maybe mistakes that you've made? Well-
0: Placement of trees is definitely tricky. It's hard to imagine what your forest of food is going to look like when they're so small, especially the trees, because trees take up a lot of space, you know, even when you keep them trimmed smaller. Sometimes, if you can get a person that's, you know, that specializes in food landscapes, uh, edible landscapes, that can really help because they have that vision that you may not have. So, that can can be important. The other thing, too, is, you know, I'm not saying never. Ever grow full size trees. I mean, to have a live oak on your property is absolutely wonderful. Now, what you're going to be able to grow underneath it is tricky because it's a lot of shade and the roots like to steal just about everything. Now, the oak leaves can be very beneficial in your growing, no two ways about it. Yeah, I would stick with dwarfs as much as possible. Uh, it can definitely uh, give you more space to grow more varieties, and it depends on what you want to do. Not everyone wants to have have a food forest on their property. Some people want to have more open ground Because you definitely want to have some open space To have sunlight to grow your annuals If you want to grow kale, collards, um, Swiss chard Things like that You're not going to grow them in the shade And remember we have less sunlight in the winter When all those things grow So you want to plan for those things And sometimes you can kind of uh, lock yourself in with all trees When I was doing my yoga teacher training um, A number of years ago I was a permaculturist in the Orlando area I can't remember his name And he knew a lot of people that I knew And I went up to him and I asked him I said, what are you growing? And he smiled and laughed a little bit He says, I don't grow anything I just harvest And it took me a minute to figure out what he was talking about But what he was talking about was He stopped doing annuals Ah. He's just letting things happen And even like tomatoes, for instance, right? You do a patch of tomatoes and you you don't do anything to them. You'll be able to pick them. And guess what? Some of the tomatoes are going to fall to the ground. And guess what you're going to have next time the weather is right? More tomatoes. Mm. Seeds can last longer in the ground. They're not going to sprout unless the conditions are right. And so eventually what I'm really striving to do here is not do annuals anymore. Just mm-hmm. let the plants go and some people think that's a little messy but when everything is food how can food be messy so really the biggest advice I have is be careful with invasive plants you don't want them in your garden even though some of them are absolutely beautiful you want to try not to grow those things because they'll basically take over and they're going to push out the things you want to grow using natives as much as possible now if you want to eat natives aren't going to provide you with a bunch of food although there's some you know i I mean cocoa plum is a native and it puts out a nice little fruit you know there's a there's a number of natives but then what the natives do is they bring in the pollinators and of course if you're growing food you want as many pollinators on your property as possible so really focusing on a lot of natives a lot of fruit trees and keeping little windows open for where annuals can grow. At first you're planting them, but eventually maybe you're not planting them. You're just letting them seed themselves and coming back. And of course, making your own soil. This nursery, one of the things I'm doing that other people aren't doing is I produce all my own soil, all my own fertilizer, and that brings me to the worms. Um, I'm a worm farmer and I have designed a system where you can get five to ten gallons of castings per month, per tub, and I offer a class. Every month when I do my, my harvest, I offer the class, because this is all pretty much me. You and know? it's moon,
1: you call it moon landing. But this, this, is the, this
0: is the moon landing garden. I'm a registered beekeeper. I'm also a registered nursery with the Department of Agriculture. I try to keep, even though I don't want to be part of the machine, I don't want to be part of the problem as well. So I'm trying to utilize the systems that help. I'm leaving things to the energy of my spirit guides to guide me. And I'm trying to be as good of a person as I can in everything i do and that's what i'm striving for
1: albert it's been really fascinating and i've learned a lot thank you so much for your time for all the great advice for people getting their feet wet into this lifestyle thank you for the chamomile tea cheers
0: cheers (laughs) awesome
1: albert reisenberg lives and grows his own food in Gulfport. His gardening and yoga classes are open to the public. Just head to facebook.com slash moonlandingyoga to sign up. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. This week we had help from Chandler Balcom, Mark Hayes, and Hannah Abdelmajid. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2022. Namaste.